0: Today, I'll be talking to Rutu and Avikar. Both were born in the United States to Indian immigrant parents. They have two daughters, aged 11 and 9, and a 6-year-old son. Both are comfortable with the idea of letting the children learn from making mistakes in their schoolwork. But what about the lessons of making mistakes in their social lives? If Rutu is as strict as her parents were, Will her children rebel the way she did? If she isn't, will they go astray? During this conversation, we'll talk about what gets lost when you have to sneak out of the house to attend the junior prom and what's gained by falling into the water right at the start of a fishing trip. Talking with Rutu and Avikar reminded me of how very many languages have single precise words for every sort of romantic crush and that the Norwegian word etepukskap has precisely the same meaning as the Yiddish term rebigelt. First, a disclaimer. What you are about to listen to is not a professional counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation, and the advice I offer does not constitute psychological treatment or serve as a substitute for professional diagnosis, intervention, or behavioral health care. In order to protect their privacy, our guests have been given pseudonyms and some personal details have been changed. If you have concerns about your child's well-being or your own, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. Good places to start? Your child's pediatrician, the counseling staff at your child's school, and the American Psychological Association's Comprehensive Guide to Finding Resources in Your State. And now, on to the fun. Honey,
1: you're my best friend And I think that
0: we got this One day, we'll look back and laugh But in the meantime, we got this, we got this Tell me what I can help you with today.
2: So we have three great kids and we are raising them in a culture and a world that we didn't get raised in.
0: I'd like you to describe the difference. The culture you were raised in possibly tie in the culture your parents were raised in and the culture you see your children in now.
2: Okay. So both my husband and I, Avikar and I, are Indian. Our families are quite different though, even though we have the same ethnicity. How so? My parents were born and raised in India and immigrated to America in the early 70s for the same reason everybody else did, better life, bigger opportunities, good education, etc. Avikar's parents are fifth generation South African. They're Indians who live in South Africa. And so his entire extended family lives there right now. And his parents, he's the oldest of a brother and a sister, so three kids, kind of like our family dynamic, immigrated to America in the late 90s, right? 90
1: uh, uh, yeah, though. late 90s, late 90s.
2: Yeah, Correct. so they also came for a better life. And, you know, things weren't looking that good at home in terms of job prospects, college, like schools and safety, both of our sets of parents came for their children and better opportunities for themselves as well. My parents, I'll speak to mine and then, you know, Abikar can speak to his. My dad's first saw a telephone when he was 28 years old. He was raised in a village. Whoa, so, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so I immediately yeah. have a question about that. Is he living nearby? Yeah, he lives half a mile from me. Both my parents do. So the children see him? All the time.
0: Do they know the stories of his childhood <laughs> at all? Do they know that detail about a telephone?
2: I think they know that detail because he's told them that before because they just think that's just wild. It is wild.
0: <laughs> it's fantastic for them to know that.
1: Well, we, we did take them a couple of years ago. We took them to India and showed them where he grew up. And, you know, the little house that where, you know, six or seven people grew up in and they were blown away. At at the same time, my oldest, for example, she loved the fact to see where grandpa, how he grew up in the farmland and, you know, from what he accomplished in his life to where he is now, you know, starting a life here in the United States. But yeah, they know exactly what they went through. But definitely
2: Yeah, I want my dad to share more. He's not that much of a talker, you know, but once he does talk, he can talk a, quite a bit. But I do want him to share more stories of his childhood with my kids. I think it's fascinating. And I think part of knowing who you are is knowing where you came from and the people before you came from. And I tell my kids all the time, like, if both your gra- sets of grandparents did not take the biggest risk of their lives of coming here. You would not exist. You know, dad and I wouldn't have met because it was, I never thought I would meet somebody who was from South Africa. Like it just doesn't, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. And so it never occurred to me that that could be my life path. But I tell my kids to be so grateful for the fact that their grandparents took the chance to come here.
0: One thing you want to do with this family legacy and the history and the colorful stories, and I'm so glad they had a chance to visit and see the house where he lived and see the land, is to build ancestral memories. It's the family lore, and it's very rich for kids because their lives now are although it's so much more sophisticated and advanced, and in some ways it's more narrow. And the tricky part, and parents fall into this trap all the time, is they say, look at the privileges you have. Do you remember? Did I tell you (laughs) what your grandfather went through? He came here with one shoe. That's all he had. And look what he did with his life. So that's a risky proposition to do that because it actually instead of being inspiring it can make them feel a little bit defeated. How can I ever do anything as magnificent as that soldier, warrior, hero, grand character, my grandfather? Mm-hmm. And so they measure themselves and actually feel a little bit inadequate if you Talk about those stories with a joyful, curious, and reverent approach. Mm -hmm. They'll be much more interested in hearing them. And I want them to hear them because they're great stories.
2: Definitely. That's a good perspective. I didn't think of it like that because I do tell my kids, Look at what you have. Look how much you have, you know. Oh, and did you see what happened to your voice just then?
0: Because you've (laughs) been talking to me, and I'll tell our audience, we had all kinds of technical problems getting started. (laughs) And Rutu was so patient and so just full of grace in waiting till we got it straightened out. And just then, your voice went up, I imagine, higher then six-year-old's voice grows up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's true, it's true. Yes, absolutely. I mean, making sure my kids are grounded and appreciative and grateful for what they have is very important for me to you know, impart on them. They have a lot, they're very fortunate. Dad and I work very hard to provide lives for them, grandparents' support, et cetera. All of it plays into the incredible life they have. But I want them to know that it takes hard work. And it doesn't just come. People work hard. You have to pay the dues, etc. So I am definitely one of those moms that tells my kids what to be appreciative about all the time, <laughs>
0: often. Does it work? Are they serious about their responsibilities?
1: I think they're getting to learn more about their responsibilities now that they're getting older. Especially with the 11-year-old, she's starting to become more responsible over the last year or two. Describe. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen her, you know, start taking responsibility for her younger brother and sister. She's a little bit more, much more nurturing towards them. So she is taking on a little bit more responsibilities in that aspect, and also, you know, picking up chores and things like that. But on the other hand, we have to keep on driving them to say, okay, you know what? It's your turn to do dishes. Okay, don't walk past something if it's lying on the floor. Pick it up and put it away. Or you know, in that aspect. On the other hand, there are times where. I don't know if he is a typical kid, but, you know, they're lazy to clean their room, lazy to make up their bed, you know, mm-hmm. in, that, in that sense. So we have to kind of drive that aspect constantly and say, you know what, this is the things you have to do. It's part of growing up. It's part of this house. If you want to live in this house, these are the certain things that you have to do.
0: Is it effective, that repetitive <sighs> reminding? And how annoying is it for the two of you?
1: It, here's the thing. Living at home, the five of us in this last year, you know, we live in a, a 1,500 square foot house where if, if no one does their part, things become a mess. And there's five of us in the household constantly.
0: This is a wonderful point. You said that so clearly, and it had a statistic in it. You said mm-hmm. it's a 1,500-square-foot house, and there are five of you. If you do mm-hmm. the math on that, each person has a responsibility to contribute at minimum in the public spaces in the house so no one trips over anything.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I imagine you want them to do more than that. Do they, all three of them, so I'm including six-year-old now, and oh boy. curious about <laughs> what role that little guy has because very often the third child who is a son is particularly indulged and adored by mom— And gets away with (laughs) a lot of cuteness, and Mm -hmm. they tend to be kind of funny. They have a good sense of humor, does he? (laughs) I think you hit that on the head right there. (laughs) Yeah. So they figured it out. Because the oldest one is generally pretty responsible, a little Mm -hmm. bit anxious, kind of perfectionistic sometimes, especially if it's a girl. The -hmm. middle one gets along with everybody, and the little one is the clown.
2: Yeah, I think you just described our family pretty much. That's exactly it, is, it, yeah. That's exactly it. Our oldest is definitely type A personality. Good student. Very independent in her schoolwork and her… But um, a little hard
1: on herself too. To, yeah. To, okay. on, the t- on the fact that she is a good student. One of the issues we do have where she finds it hard to fail. And she takes it very hard on herself. For example, she gets a bad grade. She will get mad at herself. She feels like the world coming down on her just because she got that one bad grade. Meanwhile, she got 10 great grades, but that one makes it much more worse, you know?
2: And that bad grade's not even that bad. It's just not the best grade she usually gets. (laughs) Even before the
0: grades come in, After she's taken the quiz or the test, she anticipates the grade and says things Mm -hmm. like, I know I failed. I know I failed it. I know I failed it. Then the grade comes back and it's a B, which to her stands for bad. And so she communicates that she has not lived up to her standards.
2: Yeah, I think she probably internalizes a lot of that. I try very hard to be very careful with my words because I don't want it to be just about her grades. To me, if you put in the effort, you tried, you studied, and you did not do as well as you thought you did, that's okay. Everything is not going to be great and perfect and A's and super and excellent. It's okay. Then I feel like the effort part that you put in is so much more valuable and important to address and acknowledge than the final grade, right? Because if you didn't put in the effort and then you got a bad grade, then it's like, well, you know why. I mean, it's not rocket science. You didn't try, so you didn't get a good grade. So I try to be careful about not making it so much about the grade. Though I do like to know the comments the teachers give and like, what did you get at the end? You know, I do ask that because I want to know. I'll be honest, I don't ask it for everything she does because she's so independent. She does so much on her own. We literally just see her because we're all virtually learning and, you know, she's in her room. She has her desk set up. We see her for snacks and lunch and then she's back in. And if I didn't ask her what she's doing, what she's working on, I would never know what's going on. And her schoolwork is totally fine because she's just very, very organized and responsible in that sense. Like she has this sense of, School is really important and I do well at it and I have to continue to do well because in our family, everyone has to go to college. You don't have to be the, you know, how most, a lot of Indian parents like the doctor, the engineer, the lawyer. It's not like that in our home, but you have to go to college, especially as a girl. I feel very strongly that my girls have to be able to support themselves. I don't want you to have an aspiration that's different than I will support myself if I want to or need to. I don't have to, but I can do it if I want to. And so school is important to us in our family. And it's very important to like, I know my parents, you know, it's like they were able to go and get further degrees, uh, master's and CPAs, etc. And it's always been something that is incredibly important in our family. And so there's no leeway on that part. And I think I'm, that is definitely something that they all three know. But I agree with you that the little one probably gets away with a lot more. <laughs> and it is mom's fault, probably a little bit. <laughs> Avikar, I want you to
0: speak to what Rutu just talked about. What is your perspective on goals for the children, standards for their performance and their future? Because Rutu just gave a very clear picture of her aspirations.
1: No, Ruthie and I are both on the same page. We both want our kids definitely to go to school and have a higher education. If my son decides he wants to become a baseball star, great, become a baseball star. But what if that baseball...
0: Notice everyone that he said star. He used the word star. (laughs) He didn't say even professional baseball player. He said star. Well, I'll be
1: honest with you. (laughs) Having a son, you know, I wanted my kids to play sports and he does. We play a lot of sports. I take him out to play baseball, golf, everything we can. And if he wants to aspire to do that, go ahead and do it. But on the other hand... Have a backup plan. Your backup plan is in education. Even if it means going to trade school and becoming a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Work on your dream, but also have that backup at the same time. Because you know what? Mom and dad are paying for that. We have a college savings plan, so that's going to go to you somehow or the other. On the other hand, you know, growing up, same with me, education was a big driving force growing up in South Africa. I grew up in, at a time where during apartheid happened. So my mom made it a point. My mom, who's a very, very driven person, made it a point move into a better neighborhood yeah. so we can get into a better school and can have her three Indian children growing up in a predominantly white country. The reason I'm in this country now is because of my mom. She was driven to say, you know what, I'm not going to let my child grow up in South Africa where if we don't see a future, I'm going to move to the United States and have my three children have better lives in the United States. Do your
0: children know this? How much do they know of this?
1: They do. I've taken them. We've gone to South Africa. They know where I grew up, how I grew up, you know, where I grew up, showed them my houses. They uh, wow. they knew exactly our lifestyle mm-hmm. growing up in South Africa. Yeah, They were a little young to know the extremity of, you know, the cultural and the the black and white aspects of growing up at that time. But now within this last few months with everything that's going on in the United States in terms of, you know, the color lines, We've sat down and explained to them exactly what happened to me in South Africa or how things happened or how things transpired in South Africa that made us move to the United States. So my oldest, my 11 year old, she kind of gets it and gets the gist of you know, what dad went through growing up in South Africa. And she understands. And now the other two, obviously, they, you know, these things the news every day. They kind of have an idea as well of what we went through. But yeah, back to the point of education. Ritu and I are on the same page. Education is a must for both of us, for all three kids.
0: So Ritu, one of the things you said initially is that you're thinking about the way your parents grew up, the way you grew up, and the way you wish for your children to grow yes. up. And Avikar, you used a really important phrase. You said extremity of culture mm-hmm. about the way your parents grew up and what they were leaving to get away from. We live in a very extreme culture right now, and the National Association of Science, Engineering, and Medicine studies trends in the culture, and one of the trends they study is at-risk youth. And at-risk youth, it's at risk for anxiety, depression, substance use, suicidality, at emotional and mental health risk. It has always been First-generation immigrant children, children living in foster care, children with an incarcerated parent, and children living in poverty. The very surprising finding that came out a couple of years ago is the new category of at-risk youth is children attending what are called HAS. High achieving schools, Mm -hmm. schools with lots of honors and AP classes, schools where the children end up going to the competitive colleges. And it's such a paradox because these are our most privileged children. And it was easier for the two of you to be driven to be successful and to achieve the success you've had and to enjoy your work, which my sense is that you both do. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Mm
1: -hmm. Correct, yeah. Yeah.
0: So you had good educations, you enjoy your work, you enjoy each other, and you enjoy your children. Wow, so great. (laughs) We want the same thing for your kids. Mm -hmm. And here's where the rebalancing comes in. These girls of the at-risk groups are in some ways the most at risk. The firstborn daughters, because they imagine they need to succeed and excel in all the traditional girl areas, they need to be slender, popular, nice, sweet, and they also need to make their mark professionally, some of them athletically, they need to be Popular, they need to make their mark in the world, which is Avicar, which is why I poked you on Baseball Star, okay. even for your son. <laughs> so, the right. balancing I want to talk about for your family is to think about when your 11 year old is relaxed, is silly, is goofy, is having fun, and even in very shallow pursuits when you see that look on her face, the movements in her body that are both alive and relaxed, and when the little one is acting like a big boy, is thinking about someone else's feelings, maybe when he's with tiny little cousins, if you have any that are around, Mm -hmm. you notice that he acts in a sort of grown-up and protective way, maybe he doesn't, Mm -hmm. but to catch her having fun, and appreciate a remark on that. I can see how happy you are right now. Mm -hmm. And to catch him exercising self-restraint, self-control, responsibility, and contributing to the 1,500 square feet being a peaceful, organized, and pleasant place to be. So tell me what the 11-year-old finds to be fun, what tickles her, some terribly shallow interest she has right now. She will be entering puberty any minute if she isn't Mm -hmm. already, so I'm sure you have some degree of terror.
2: Yeah, definitely some degree of terror. I was thinking this morning that raising this age of kids is way more difficult than raising a newborn baby or a toddler. Maybe not the 100%. first time you do it. 100%. Because there's so many books and <laughs> and direct <laughs> advice about swaddle your child. Don't feed solids. Do Like there are literally rules that you can follow and raise an infant and it'll be okay. And everyone's infant is the same and you'll be all right. It's when you get to this age when you actually have to parent them. And you don't want to mess it up because you could. It's really nerve-wracking to me because my girls, I envision a future for them, how I think they'll be happy, content, good women. But I don't want to mess it up in between, and I don't want to have things said that'll mess it up. But my 11-year-old, when she's the most happy or free is literally when she's at home playing with her sister. What do they play? Tell me about it. Will You overhear it from another room. Yeah, so they play family a lot. Oh, what's the family? So the family <laughs> is there's a mom, there's a dad, there's an aunt. Then they have these like kind of like American Girl dolls, and they are the kids. And so they have all the kids. They dress them up. They take them places. They have storylines, and most storylines mimic our family life. Like, Describe. So my eleven year old will be like, "Mom, what's for dinner?" And I'll be like, "Oh, we're gonna have chicken tacos and you know guacamole and chips." Yeah. Two yes. seconds later, she flips around. And she's like, "Okay, honey, we're gonna have gu- chicken honey. tacos and chips honey. tonight, <laughs> honey." Yeah, they play act of family situations, and yeah. it's not even exciting like dramatic family situations. Sometimes they are like five sisters are pregnant in their dolls or something. I don't know. Oh, and that's then so you're great! Like, How did that five. <laughs> <laughs> they have very intricate family stories they create within their dolls, and sometimes. My six-year-old will play with them, too. And they all play family together. And they'll all be like, can we play family? Can we play family? And, you know, he's the dad. There's an the aunt or a sister or wife. The or aunt. The um, aunt, yes. And honestly, that is when she's the most free. She's a goofball. Like, yes, she's good. kind of a big goofball. I
0: want her to be a
1: goofball. But she's a goofball at home, though.
2: No, not outside. When she's in school, she's poised. She's calm. By she's a By the book, Bob. Like, and that's comes from me partially. Like I have follow rules to the T, you don't break a rule, but she's very much a different child in public, in her friends than she is at home. Her home is her safe space. She's 11 and she plays with dolls. Not all 11 year olds play with dolls. They probably have lost it a couple years ago. And Avika and I talk about it often and I encourage it and I'm okay with it because she has a younger sister. Who can still play with dolls and still likes, you know, wanting to like, they like collecting those LOL surprise dolls, those big life-size ones. Oh my gosh, it's a thing, it's it's a wild thing. I'm gonna stop you right here because
0: I love the way you said it's a wild thing. And your voice didn't change at all. You didn't sound scornful, you didn't sound mocking. No. I want I love them to play with dolls as yeah. long as they can. That's and what I say. And I see. also want to say to you about raising preteens and teenagers, the whole middle school piece. Absolutely, it's easier to take care of a baby. It's extremely <laughs> easier. You are going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you are going to say the wrong thing. She's going to hate you a little bit. She's go- <laughs> I am so sorry to break your heart. I want you <laughs> no. to get ready. Which is why it's so nice that you have this lovely, sweet, supportive, handsome husband right here, because he is not going to hate you quite as much as she does, but he will hate you too, because that's marriage.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: I know exactly what you're talking about, because I have a sister, and my sister is seven years younger than me. So I know exactly in terms of the preteen, how, you know, they act, interact, and, you know. To so there times she hated me, and up to this day, I think we still fight, but we still get along. And I know exactly what you're saying, <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense.
0: And what you described before is exactly what I like to see. I like to see kids who are pretty buttoned up at school, who are polite <laughs> to their grandparents, who are mannerly on the street, who know the etiquette of being outside of the house, the ones they tend to behave the worst with is mom. If the dad is the Mm -hmm. primary caretaker, then it's dad. So it depends on who they're with the most. And you can't take it Personally, or see it as predictive. So it doesn't sound like it's happened yet, although you have already noticed this slight shift where she is such a good girl in the classroom. She knows how to talk to teachers, she knows how to talk to her aunt or her friend's parents. I suspect her friend's parents are quite fond of her, they find her very well raised. Mm -hmm. And when they come home, they let their hair down.
2: The thing that scares me a lot, though, friends become a really big part of your life starting around now, you know? And I went through it. I admit, you know, my friends were more important to me than my parents for many years at times. What they thought mattered the most. Well put. Yeah. And in retrospect, that was wrong. That's not how it should be. But but um, you see
1: that now, not when you were at that age.
2: <laughs> exactly. I was. Yeah. I was a little rebellious. Oh, please speak about it
0: because... If this is why, this is why if 11, I mean, you don't have to give all the gory details, but just some, because if they don't rebel at all before they go to college, they're not prepared for all (laughs) the allure and seduction and potholes and landmines of that landscape at college. We want them to make some cheap mistakes while they're still at home. Nurture versus Nurture. We'll be right back. Native aluminum-free deodorant. Native cares about what you put on your body, which is why their deodorant ingredients list actually includes things you've heard of like coconut oil and shea butter. None of their products are tested on animals. Every product comes with free shipping within the United States, plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. They have a whole bunch of options, including sensitive deodorants for people with baking soda sensitivities, plastic-free deodorant if you wish to cut down on your plastic consumption, an unscented option, and rotating seasonal scents. You can subscribe to Native so you'll never have to sweat about running out of deodorant again. Make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com nurture. Use the promotional code NURTURE at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash NURTURE and use the promotional code NURTURE at checkout for 20% off your first order. This has been a really challenging year. I hear more and more about people having trouble with depression, with anxiety, with negative intrusive thoughts. And this is where BetterHelp comes in. If you're having trouble meeting your goals, difficulty with relationships, if you're having trouble sleeping, BetterHelp is available. BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. Simply fill out a questionnaire to assess your needs and BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is secure online professional counseling. BetterHelp counselors have a broad range of expertise, expertise in specific problem areas which may not be available in your area. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And everything you share is confidential. Nurture versus Nurture listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com nurture. Visit betterhelp.com slash nurture and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. So speak to us a little bit about your hideous, violent, nearly getting arrested (laughs) rebellion during your teenage years. (laughs)
2: Oh, okay. Well, as I had mentioned, my parents were born and raised in India. So when they came here, yes, they were here for the opportunity and the education and, you know, just a better life, but they were very, very traditional and very entrenched in making sure that like India did not leave them in the languages we spoke, the customs, the culture, The traditions that we had. So I grew up in a very traditional home, very religious home. And the rules that would have applied to me had I been raised in India still applied here. And that was very, very oppressive. It was a duality of an environment that was very hard to navigate. Mm. And so everything was no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Give an example. So one aspect of it was that I wasn't allowed to date. And in retrospect, that's fine. It wasn't that I was like wanting to date really at all in high school. I really never dated in high school at all and barely in college. So just, just you know, it wasn't something that I really wanted to. But it was because it was just a no that it made it more like, Mm, why not? You know, there was no discussion about it. Yeah. Also, I agree. I shouldn't really have dated in middle school or has, and I think middle school is too young. I'm very kind of traditional in that sense. Still, you know, even for my, I'm like, no, you can't do that. It's, you're still little. But specifically, was no, I wasn't allowed to go to any dances. Mm. And you know, dances are a big deal here in America. <laughs> dances are really fun. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's a really big deal here. And that, to me, is a cultural institution of America, of being raised here. And so I wasn't allowed to go to prom. Really? You weren't allowed to go to prom? I wasn't allowed to go to any dances, but then I was asked to go to junior prom, and I was told no. So. How angry or sad were you about that? I was pretty angry. I snuck out to go to junior prom. I hope so. <laughs> I hope This is so. terrible. <laughs> I, and, but then senior prom, I was allowed to go. And right. they knew about it, you know. Great. But it Better. was just the no's. Like, everything was no. So, I think… And I share this with Abhikar. He had a different upbringing and a little bit more. I think it's different for, especially with Indian parents and boys versus girls. Like girls must be sheltered and virtue intact and kept in a certain like pedestal. I just, I haven't heard that phrase in a while. Yes, continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in boys are a lot of different level of freedom, freedom, you know, and it's like, why, why do they get to that? So my point being is I'm not going to say no to everything. We won't. I mean, we're going to talk about it, but we won't say no to everything because then it increases the chances of incomplete and utter rebellion. There will be obviously boundaries. not going to be a free. Everyone can do whatever you want. But that's one way I was raised, which I, in retrospect, didn't think it's the right way to be raised here in America because you can't expect me to not want to do anything my friends are doing, but you brought me to this country. Why can't I do the things everybody else does in this country? So that's going to be different for us. And then friends on top of that play a very big role in your life in a middle school and high school. They can definitely drive you to make wrong decisions. So picking your friends, and my parents always told me this, and they are right. Picking who you associate with and who your friends are is such an important part of your life that it could lead you completely astray or keep you okay and on the right path. And I agree with that 100%. I know my kid is a good kid, you know, a nice kid. I'm so scared that there could be kids who influence her, especially with social media, who are not maybe see eye to eye and will tell her things and then lead her astray. And I can't control it hundred percent. I can be involved. I know who her friends are. I know who their parents are. You know, I can insert myself in those ways. But that is very scary to me in this day and age because there's the social media aspect. I'll just say this. they don't have Instagrams. they don't have you know phones right now, et cetera.
1: No, but to that point, some of my eleven year old's friends have cell phones already
2: absolutely. And
1: they've asked, my old, 11-year-old asked dad, when am I getting a cell phone? I'm like, no, not until you're 55. <laughs> Just because I, <laughs> I don't want you sitting on a cell phone talking to your friends at all hours of the day. It's, you're not the age yet to have a cell phone. You know? You're you still too young to have a cell phone at 11 years old.
2: And you can't control anything on it all the time. I mean, there are rules. You know, You could put in apps and controls. Right. I get that. But really, kids find a way around everything.
1: Well, well, look at it this way. The 11 year olds found a way to talk to her friends. You know, she was able to download the house party app on her iPad, uh, which is her school iPad and talk to her friends that way. Yes, she still gets her work done. But I also do find that at times talking to her friends for two hours at a time, which is utter nonsense. <laughs> I, I just feel uh, talking for two hours. And you know, what are you talking about? That's one of the reasons you don't have a cell phone. What are you talking about for two hours? When? What are you doing?
0: So we don't want to shame her for her affiliative drive. And at the same time, you're very aware of the potential cesspool of exposure Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. wasted life that can unroll (laughs) down the rabbit hole of social media and of these platforms. Rutu, it's very helpful that you're so sensitive to the pain of some of the restrictions that you faced because you had to sneak out to the junior prom and you felt totally entitled to go, and you had to lie to your parents and yeah. sneak to go, which actually affected some of the pleasure of that evening because you couldn't come home with yeah. all the stories. Just as I want the stories of the grandparents to be shared with the children, I want them to wish to share the stories of their good, wholesome, relatively safe adventures with the Mm -hmm. two of you. Mm -hmm. So you know what it's like to be too restricted. My sense is, and you'll tell me if this is accurate, that between the two of you, because you were raised differently and you actually found each other, because of how much the traditions of your culture meant to both of you. So, Rutu, you could definitely have picked someone that was five generations back American, and you didn't. Right? You chose right. someone who shared a heritage with you because you prize it. Yeah. And if you are too anxious and nearly phobic about what will happen if she has the wrong friends the wrong device, spends her time. Avakar, say again what the term you used was, utter nonsense? Utter <laughs> that nonsense, you, yeah. Utter nonsense. nonsense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with the restrictions of COVID, they don't have the opportunity to wander free. The yeah. way both of you did, Rutu, even in your extremely restrictive home, there were all kinds of people you hung out with, things oh, you yeah. did that your parents never knew anything about. And these kids are, it's a little bit like they are parolees wearing an ankle bracelet. Yeah. And we can see where they are every single second. Once they do have a device, parents track them. They know how fast they're driving in the car. Uh I mean, that's the other side of the surveillance culture that we live in. We have too much information about the kids. And I loved it earlier that you said... She might take a test and you don't ask her right away how she did. You're not logging on. I don't know if her school has one of those platforms where you can see the grade before the student. So that's hugely respectful self-restraint on your part.
2: While you were talking, one of the things that occurred to me is when we just try to pick at things they're doing, like, oh, too much iPad, too much, you know, friend time. I think one of the ways that you can not have to pick at all the things they they shouldn't be doing, is to, what you just said, is to somehow let them know you respect them as a yes. person and as an individual, and you are smart, and you will make good decisions. And when you have that sense of responsibility from your parents on you, I think you just tend to make the better decisions.
0: I want to add one piece to it because it's such a good perspective, this respect and confidence of your parents. The other piece is, and this is what's so different than with little babies, to <laughs> celebrate, to be curious, to be cultural anthropologists as your children teach you about their world right now. So an 11-year-old girl, even without a phone, knows all sorts of things about the beauties Mm. of the web, not just the dangers, about platforms, about creativity, about Mm -hmm. making music, about the music she loves. Let's talk about music, actually. Is music a part of the family who likes it? How do they like it? How is it expressed? (laughs) When does it happen? You are pointing at Avikar right now, I think.
1: Yeah, music is a huge, huge part of our family. So my eleven-year-old plays piano. Rutu used to sing. I used to sing. Uh, my parents sing. Uh, singing like a church, <laughs> nothing professional in that sense, but <laughs> yeah, you no, know, we're uh, not those. Sing at sing at temple. But music is a huge part of our family. Both girls go to dance on a regular basis. We go for shows. We go for recitals. Music is instilled enough. My brother plays the drums.
2: Oh, and my kids, just to elaborate a little bit more on that, they both go to Bollywood dance. Please, describe. So so the two girls go? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both my girls go. Yeah. They've been going for... My older one's going for six years. My middle one's about four years, five years now. So since she was five? Since she was five? Yeah. What do they wear? So they wear Indian clothes, traditional. So when I say we are... You know, traditions are important in our family. They're incredibly important. My first language was not English. It was Gujarati, which is what my parents spoke. And then I learned English at school. But... The way our culture, our Indian culture is just so vibrant and beautiful and colorful and has so much emphasis on clothes and songs and music and movies, et cetera. We wear our traditional Indian langas, which is, you know, the skirt and the top, like kind of like a crop top. But then you have a kind of a see-through shawl, like it's called a dupata that you put over to cover yourself. But all of their dance recitals have Indian outfits they, the Indian music, you know, our music is amazing in India. Like all the, all the Bollywood music with the drums and beats and the singers uh. are good. So they listen to lots of Indian music and they'll dance. And
1: we have music constantly playing in our house. There's, you know, there's different stations, English, Indian music, all types of music. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They love Taylor Swift. They love Dua Lipa. Like pop music is huge, pop music mm. is big. But they'll play, they'll, they'll connect their iPads to our like Bose speakers and they'll end up like putting the words on the iPad and just belt out and sing songs with the instrumental, like karaoke. That's what it's called. They do a lot karaoke. of karaoke.
1: <laughs> a lot of karaoke dolls.
2: <laughs> this picture of the Dua Lipa
0: karaoke and then playing <laughs> family with mm-hmm. dolls. I mean, they are playing family with dolls. That balance of the sensual, The beautiful, the grace and glamour of the outfits they wear, Mm -hmm. your respect for popular music and for traditional music, the kind of festive spirit of Bollywood in general is such a wonderful antidote to what I was talking about before of the at-risk youth. This Is the way you protect children from falling into that trap of believing that they are only worth their last high grade and that their friends are not friends. They're actually all competitors for who is going to get into Stanford or have the most impressive bumper sticker Uh, to compare with the other friends whose children are going to law school and medical school. You've really given me a wonderful picture of the balance in the girls' lives and the traditions that are carried on from generations back right into this country, mixed with modern fun. Because you didn't do karaoke when you were growing up, did you? Was it around yet? No, no.
2: (laughs) No, I didn't. I had a very, almost like a only child kind of life because my brother is nine years older than me. And then, but Avikar grew up with like a ton of cousins all around. He's the oldest of all the cousins, but like grew up around all his cousins and played all the time. And it's like having 12 other brothers and sisters for him.
0: (laughs) And this is one of the things that people do when they make a marriage choice. They are looking at the extended opportunities provided by a different kind of family to blend it together and make the kind of family you wish to have. So let's talk about six-year-old. And when you get reports from school, has he, because of the pandemic, everything's so upside down, has he been in in in-person school? Yes. Yes. When you had a parent-teacher conference about him, how did they describe him?
2: So the... Only parent-teacher conference I've had for him before COVID happened was through TK, which yeah, is like fine. transitional Great. kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. In a public school, in our public school, local one. Great. And I think the teacher was mostly, you know, his behavior was always definitely not the excellent, like, high level, but the one satis- Oh, satisfactory. It was satisfactory. That was his behavior level. Lots of energy, you know, still needs to focus, pay attention, but, you know— trying hard and is kind and a good helper. I always get a good helper with my kids with from the parent teacher conferences. Do you feel pride about that? I hope that you do. I do. I do. It is more important to me that my all three of my kids are kind, generous citizens of the world rather than how much money they make, what kind of car they drive, all that kind of stuff. Like to me, if somebody is being bullied, And you, it doesn't have to be you, but you shouldn't be bullied. You should stand up for yourself. But if somebody is, and you should definitely never be the bully, but if somebody's being bullied and you're watching it, you should, you better not just stand there. Like you need to go and make, you better do something about it. Because then you're Mm -hmm. just as much as fault as a person bullying.
0: Here's the formula I'm coming up with listening to you, that the best 21st century skills to develop in children so that they will be successful in the future are... Kindness, communication, curiosity, and courage. Courage to speak up. Communication because we get kind of isolated with our devices and we forget how to have conversations. Kindness because of the very competitive world where it feels like you have to step on top of other people to get ahead. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: so I'm hearing this about him that... The teachers are saying he helps out and he notices what's needed.
2: Yeah. I think that's probably all I kind of remember from that parent-teacher conference. It was a while ago. (laughs) It was over a year ago. But generally, he's just a super, super hyperactive little boy. Oh, All right. Let's stop
0: before we call it hyperactive. So um, he is a (laughs) a lot of energy boy. He is a boy with a lot of energy. The girls get to do their Bollywood moves. What does he get to do to get his energy out? That is not all the wonderful structured sports you do with him, Avikar, and he has opportunities to do, which are great. Right.
1: So unfortunately, you know, due to COVID, a lot of these programs that we put him in got canceled. So, you know, he was playing baseball. We got into golf. We got into soccer. We tried all these different things with him. Unfortunately, everything got canceled. And he's at the age now where that was a great out for him, you know, because he made really good friends within the baseball team, you know, and that those parents became our friends and we, we grew a little community. Unfortunately, all that stopped and it stopped all of a sudden, you know. So over the past few months or over the past year he's only out is okay dad's his best friend now okay so dad has to keep him busy constantly so dad has to take him here tag him there find stuff for for him to do although he still plays with the girls but there's certain times there where the girls want to do their thing he feels like you know what i want to do stuff with dad
0: well Mm -hmm. what is his thing right now what's his favorite thing to do with you
1: We play a lot of basketball. We play... In uh, in the house. We like building stuff. We like... (laughs) Sorry. I I, I started buying these kid wood building kits just to keep him occupied and have some interaction of using a tool or using a screwdriver, using a hammer, how to use it. So it's just how to build things with these hands. Just I'm trying to teach him stuff that I learned as a little kid and stuff I learned throughout my life, and I'm trying to instill in him how to go fishing. You know, for example, I bought a couple of fishing rods and we started going fishing all of a sudden. And I was spending a ton of money on, we haven't caught a fish yet, but we go fishing all the time.
0: You could not spend your money in a better way. Well, yeah. I want him to learn how to use tools, I want him mm-hmm. to fish. I want him to not catch fish and to catch fish. (laughs) And this is, again, this idea of passing along traditions. And I don't want to make it too gendered. So he may wish to wear those beautiful outfits too, and I hope you will allow that to happen and for him to dance the way the girls do. But for the six-year-old boy who has two big sisters who are so much more accomplished than he is in so many ways, simply because they're older, partly because they're girls. Sometimes what happens with the littlest child who is a boy is the position he will take is the adorable baby, and then they don't want to grow up very much because Mm -hmm. that sort of grown-up domain has already been taken by four other people, their parents and their two sisters. So this opportunity to master the use of tools with his dad Tell me what you're building. Are you building something real? Are they projects? Are they toys?
1: Yeah, a little bit of backstory. Uh, We ended up cleaning the garage because I had all my tools in one area when my neighbor was giving away a workbench. So I took the workbench and then we put it in the garage and yes. he helped me put the workbench together. So as a result, all the tools had a certain place to go to. And now it became his workbench with my workbench. So it's both of us share the workbench. And we made it cool because we put stickers on it and we put all our tools and put his tools together, put I my tools together, getting these little wood builders kits they made for kids. But it's very detailed in the sense that it's like maybe 10 pieces of wood, nails. you got to sand it together. you got to screw it together. you got to actually use full handheld tools to put it together. Uh, I just feel that there's certain things that he needs to learn throughout his life. Like, you know, to change a tire, you know, to change an electrical socket, to, to unclog a toilet. There's certain things that he should know <laughs> being a boy that I'll be honest with you. I see in some of my friends that they, they don't know how to do. No. And so I want him to learn how to do those things. And it's just a way of me spending time with him and also him learning at the same time.
0: And one pattern you can study, if on certain evenings, like there's a time of day called the granny hour around four o'clock where Mm. kids can, you're still trying to finish up your work day. They've been cooped up and they can really get annoying. And there isn't a granny right now to take over in most Mm. households. (laughs) But I want you to notice if he seems more noisy, hyperactive, loud, and pesty on the days when he hasn't had an opportunity to do this sort of thing with you. At the same time, I'm not saying you have to do it every day. It's impossible. You have your work to do. You have a lot of other responsibilities. You have to keep yourself healthy and entertained. You need your own hobbies if you have any. I hope something Mm -hmm. is on your plate that is something (laughs) new you're learning or you're engaged in or that's fun. But both with the girls and with your son, to see on which days the atmosphere at home gets more tense, or it mm-hmm. feels like resources are thin, and look at what has happened earlier in the day. It's kind of like when the children were very small. If you mm-hmm. took them with you on too many errands, then you had a tantrum, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. right now, with virtual learning, and with not as much time with friends, and also the way we live which is that the kids have so little in true independence and freedom to give him the pride of and your description of his workbench and your workbench Mm -hmm. side by side. Does your workbench have stickers on it, too?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's one huge workbench with stickers and it just made it ours.
0: And does he cooperate and listen when you're working together, when you're fishing together and when you're building together?
1: He does. He does. I just, uh, sometimes they just let him make mistakes. You know what? He's going to hit his finger with a hammer. That's how you're going to learn. <laughs> so um, a couple of weeks ago, we went fishing and he fell in the lake. And Oh, I'm so continue. happy.
0: Okay. Then what happened? Uh, not if he was terrified, but...
1: Well, I did warn him. I'm like, don't stand too close to the water. And he eventually he fell in the lake and he learned. It was a learning experience. But then, you know, we he realized, okay, yeah. hey, that was the end of the day. We had to come home because he was all wet and tired and cold. But I like to let them learn by mistakes versus me constantly telling them what to do. And if he's going to smash his finger with the hammer, fine, it's going to happen. It's not the end of the world, but you're going to learn. And Rutsu doesn't like me when I say that, but I prefer for him to learn the hard way.
0: And he fell in the water and he got wet, but it was mm-hmm. not traumatic or terribly serious. No, and it was a no, no. wonderful opportunity for experiential learning.
1: We kind of laughed it off. At, at first, I was like,
0: you know, <laughs>
1: you fell in the lake. What are we doing? But now we got to go home. I was a little like irked at it uh, immediately, but I made it seem that it was kind of funny he fell in the lake. And it was kind of his fault a little because you're standing too close to the water.
0: And it has a couple of things in it. It's as good as... It's better than any piece of the curriculum that he's getting in Zoom school, virtual Mm -hmm, school. mm -hmm. And it's also a great story because he is old enough now. He will never forget the time he went fishing with dad and fell in the lake. (laughs) And (laughs) partly because it's so sensory, it was the Uh water and it was cold and it was wet.
1: And since then, he hasn't fallen. So I think he learned his lesson.
0: (laughs) That's right.
2: (laughs) And I think that I actually like I mean, I don't like my kids to get hurt, obviously. Like that's not a thing for me or anybody, any parent probably, but I'm okay if they fail at stuff because I think it's a really good learning opportunity. You know, just to go back to my 11 year old, she's good at everything. She's really good at all the stuff she does. Right. But she tried out for dance troupe at school and I honestly thought she'd be a shoe in Like, I was like, of course. (laughs) Like, she does five. I mean, she's a good dancer. Yeah. She didn't make it in the troupe. And I somehow found out during the day. I think I got an email or something from the teacher before they told the students, you know, like, oh, you didn't make it. So I got an email saying, your daughter didn't make dance troupe, but, you know, try again next year. Don't hang yourself.
0: Your daughter didn't make dance troupe. Don't hang yourself before she gets home. Right.
2: And so I immediately told Avikar, I was like, listen, she didn't get in a dance troupe. She might not tell you, she might tell you, but when she tells you, say it's okay. Take it as, say these kinds of words, like you're not going to be the best at everything. You're not going to get into everything. It's okay. You just got to get up and try next time. Maybe your techniques were different and they were looking for something different. It's like you're not getting a job, right? Like maybe you weren't the right fit. And so when I told him that, and that's how he approached it with her. I think she felt sad, but I think she was okay with it. Like even later, when I talked to her, she was just like, okay, you know, like you're right, I didn't make it. You know, maybe I'll try again. But it wasn't like you didn't make it. Oh my God, that's terrible. Like, what's wrong with the teacher? It was That's not like exactly that because-
0: right. You didn't say, What's wrong with the teacher? Doesn't she know how to recognize talent? <laughs> and what you said very subtle, but so helpful. Maybe your techniques were different. Maybe they were looking for something different. So it's not her whole worth and her whole future.
2: No, no. And I think even little instances like that, like the fact that Avikar laughed off the the fact that my son fell in the water. Like, yeah, it's a little like, oh, we just got here. Like now we can't fish, you know, because, you know, that I get that. That's frustration. But then to laugh it off. It doesn't shame him, like you said. You know, he won't feel bad about himself because it's really, in the scheme of life, it's not a big deal. Like, you didn't hurt anybody. You didn't get hurt.
0: Nurture versus nurture. will be right back. Temperatures are going up. We will need to drink more water. Lots of people have trouble doing this because the taste of water is kind of dull which is where Hint Water comes in. It is fruit-infused water made with no sugar, no diet sweeteners, no calories, and no preservatives in more than 25 flavors, I was at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles waiting to get my second vaccine, sitting in the car for a really long time drinking my Hint water and watching two of the volunteers who were helping people walking around drinking their Hint water. It is a popular product. You can find Hint water at retail stores across the United States or have it delivered directly to your door when you order on their website, Go to hintwater.com and get a free case that's 12 16-ounce bottles when you buy two cases of Hint Water. Shipping is free. Just enter the code NURTURE at checkout. This is a limited-time offer, so go to hintwater.com for a free case and free shipping today. Stay hydrated this summer. You didn't hurt anyone and you didn't get hurt. Yeah. One thing I'm hearing from both of you is that you are not looking at your children's achievements as your own. And it's something you will be encountering in other parents as the kids move through the achievement hoops. And to Mm -hmm. keep in mind this perspective of our shame and pride economy And part of it has to do with how nervous everybody is about the state of the world. Right now we have Mm -hmm. this crazy virus and we don't know when it's going to go away. We do have all kinds of worrisome developments about the climate and the planet and the economy and leadership. So you can get yourself into such a spinning tizzy of worry that you need your children actually to calm you down. It's the opposite of how we want things to be. And what I'm hearing from you is that you stay calm so they can get upset and they can see, oh, this is a good response to not getting in the dance troupe, that maybe Mm -hmm. my techniques were different. Maybe they were looking for something different. Maybe I'll try again. Maybe I won't. You're not using it as the yardstick of their current value or their future.
2: No, I don't want to do that. I want to be very careful about that for their whole life. You know, you didn't get into this college or you didn't, you know, get into AP English or maybe you're in regular English or it doesn't matter. To me, as I mentioned, like you have to just try. If you don't try, then you're one being lazy and you don't care enough and you should always care enough about anything, even if it's a sm- like I make the kids fold their laundry. Right. I'll do the laundry, but they got to fold it. It's the most hated task in this house by them. <laughs> ask my husband. <laughs> we get into fights about it with them or I do because I'm like, it's been sitting here for four days. Fold your laundry. You have to do it. And then it takes them a really long time because they'll play music and they'll giggle and they'll dance. Where is this laundry? Where's it sitting? It's in their office floor. Like it's in the room and they dump it on the floor and they fold it all into piles. How do you get into their room? Oh, I actually do the laundry. I put it in, when it's dry, I put it in the laundry basket and I leave it in their room. And I'm like, fold the laundry, put your stuff away. How
0: many times have you said that? A thousand?
2: Oh yeah, I say it every (laughs)
1: time. Every time we do laundry. (laughs) I I stay out of that battle.
2: Yeah, I don't fold their laundry because I'm like, mommy already has so much to do. I do all the laundry. You know, I do cooking. I mop, I sweep. I do a lot of stuff. You guys can do this. And it's your clothes. If you don't want to fold it, don't wear clothes. Mom, you know, like- mom, it's not
0: important. <laughs> I don't know why you're so, this is what they're saying. I don't know why you're so hung up on this. The, yes. the floor of my room is the biggest shelf in the house. It's great. <laughs> oh, I can see exactly yes. what I need. What uh-huh. is with you sort of OCD weirdo? I know they don't know those yeah. words. So you have a choice here. You can consider giving up on it, or you can have a serious conversation, a business meeting with them, not in the heat of the moment, not when everybody's tired, not when anybody's hungry, and say, it is so important to me that clothes get put away because it's how I keep my mind organized. And when I see the clothes on the floor and you just say, this is me, this is how I am, If I could change, I would. But when I Mm -hmm. see the clothes on the floor, then that's what I'm thinking about then instead of the train of thought I was having about the fun we're going to have or the chicken tacos for dinner or the Mm -hmm. dance recital. And if it remains there overnight, I'm going to have to take the clothing away. And you will not have the opportunity to wear that clothing in the future. They will not believe this. (laughs) They will think it's... like that. it's just a complete fib, and you would have to be able to stick to it because they Ooh, that's a good one. don't care if you nag one bit. It means nothing to them. You fall <laughs> in the lake when you're fishing with your dad, and you have nothing to change into once you get home. He's going to have to wear the clothes from when he was four that you've stored somewhere that don't fit him anymore because he's growing so fast. That is a really good idea. But here's (laughs) what I want you to do in the business meeting. You're going to propose that. And then you're going to say to these two very intelligent girls, do you have an alternative consequence in mind? And you're going to say it in language that, because what I just said may be too abstract, too fancy, too elevated. Mm -hmm. But you're going to say, that's what I've come up with, that I have to take these clothes away and give them To children who possibly don't have enough clothing and will appreciate it, which is the dopey thing that parents used to say to kids. You know (laughs) there are children starving and you're not finishing your food. I still say that. We still say that. Yeah.
1: Does it work? Uh, Uh, To an extent it does.
2: I think they know that they're very lucky in life and that, you know, there are others who are not. But you're right. It's kind (laughs) of dope. I want
0: you to track the things you repeat. Because you are both intelligent, creative, accomplished, and you have wonderful conversations with your children and all sorts of wonderful engagement, but there's certain sticking points where you are repeating the same thing over and over again, and it's not working. So yeah. in this meeting with them, you are going to say, this is my idea. If it remains overnight, or maybe if it arrives in their room near bedtime, you can give them till lunchtime the next day. If it remains after that, I am going to take it away and you won't see it again. They will look very wide-eyed at you. They won't believe you. And you can say, I am genuinely serious about this, but propose alternatives so that you become a group of consultants rather than you being a dictator or it feeling like wildly unfair punishment. And it's really interesting because kids often come up with things that are more severe than the parents would have. So right. one thing they're going to say is, you could just stop caring so much about this. We're fine with the clothing in the hamper, and we can find it, and it works very well for us. And I actually want you to consider that as a possibility. Okay. That maybe you could live with that. Respond to that.
2: Oh, I wrote that down. (laughs) It's really smart. I really am going to try to have this business meeting next time we get into the fold your laundry argument. Just did laundry today. So there's a laundry basket in the room today. No, I really like that. I think that's a method I'm going to use because this is a sticking point in my relationship with my kids. I do not like the laundry sitting in there for multiple days It really irks me and gets to me because as busy as I am, I do like things put away. They may not get done very quickly but I do like things like put away especially considering how much they have to do which is not nearly as much of work I have to do so if I could do it they should definitely be able to do it in their 24 hours of a day.
0: So in this business meeting anyone can put something on the agenda and I don't want it to be too ambitious but I maybe you would consider doing this every week. The biggest formula is when you demonstrate, young children of mine, when you demonstrate accountability and responsibility, you gain privileges. That's how we determine the privileges. And you can ask them what privileges they would like to have. And the 11-year-old is likely to say, you know, I want a cell phone so badly. All my (laughs) friends have it. And it's really important. And you Uh can say, I am not ready for that yet. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: let's see what else you're thinking of. And this becomes a just a sort of the chemistry of mutual respect and teamwork. It's exactly how both of you operate on your jobs with your teams and how we want them to operate with their friends, with their school team, and eventually when they have work. One of the reasons this surprising at risk youth finding popped up is that those kids, the privileged kids, have very little responsibility other than their measurable achievements, the achievements that kind of can be measured in numbers. Did you get on the dance team? What grade did you get on your test? What's your standing? What's your ranking? Where do you fall? And if they can be good family citizens, it takes the load off you. So it's not just fishing and wood projects and dancing. It's also contribution as family citizens to the bottom line of getting the work done without nagging, reminding, and parents complaining, but continuing mm-hmm. to use ineffective strategies to get them to do that. I imagine all three are dry at night, for example. Mm-hmm. It's important to go back through all the things you've already accomplished. Do the two <laughs> big ones wash their own hair
2: in the bathroom, no. the shower? No. no. They,
1: they have really thick hair. So I think Ruchu is taking our responsibility to wash the hair.
2: Yeah, I do it still. My older one wants to do it. I just don't let her do it yet because she's got tons of hair. Like you got to like wash
0: it. <laughs> So I want to quote the wonderful author and child development writer, Julie Lithgott-Hames, who wrote a book called How to Raise an Adult. And one of the Mm -hmm. things she says is the way children learn is first they watch you do it, then they do it alongside you, then you watch Mm -hmm. them do it, and then they do it on their own. She is old enough to wash her own hair, even her thick, glorious, complicated hair, and learn how to test that it's rinsed with the squeak test. And that's one of the privileges you're going to give to her, which doesn't seem as nearly as glamorous as a cell phone, but uh, is exactly. respectful of her desire for independence. Mm-hmm. And in this way, she may not have to sneak out to the, her equivalent of the prom. And that is our time today. It was a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank you for my end. Uh, I think Bruce you feel the same way, but thank
1: you so much.
2: Yeah, this was really good. I love these tips at the end. I'm like furiously writing my notes down because we're going to do this. We're going to have business meetings and we're going to give them some more privileges, things that could at the end help us as well. So thank you so much for your time and your insight on all of these wonderful conversations.
0: You are most welcome. And I wish you a very enjoyable evening ahead. Thank Thank you. you. RUTU and Avikar, the children of immigrants, feel like immigrants themselves as they prepare to enter the unfamiliar land of today's American teenagehood. They are gracefully and generously preserving history through visits to their parents' homelands and what Rutu describes as a vibrant, colorful, and festive culture of drumming, song, and Bollywood dance classes for their girls starting at age five. But what about what Avikar calls the utter nonsense of two-hour chats on the House Party app and what Rutu now sees as her parents' wise counsel no dating in middle or high school. Etapukskap is Norwegian for after-wisdom. You can only gain it by making mistakes. In the moment you get in trouble, disappoint yourself or others, you feel humiliated. But mistakes are the beginning of enlightenment and earned confidence. The Yiddish version of this concept is Rebigelt, rabbi money. The consequence of poor judgment, like forgetting to put laundered clothes away or even hanging out with a bad crowd, is the rebbe, a word whose literal meaning is teacher. It's called gelt because the lesson learned is worthwhile. Consider that good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. We want our children not only to get book smart, but also street smart. And to experience a broken and amended heart before they go off to college. Humans experience passionate crushes as soon as Ms. or Mr. or Mix Wright catches their eye. I recently ran across this tweet by The Luckiest Penny. My son proposed to his fiance about six months ago, and she said, Yes, they're super happy. We love her family, too. I just found out today that another girl is in love with him and plans to propose next week. Should I say anything? Oh, and also, he's four. They're all four. Right on the heels of very young love is adolescence, the period of the greatest anguish and ecstasy in all of life. It's easy to mock this phase, to envy it, to let it scare you. Mamilatipatipai is a Yagan word spoken by the indigenous people of Tierra del Fuego. It's the wordless, meaningful look shared by two people that expresses unspoken but mutual desire. Each hopes the other will make the first move. According to the Guinness Book of You-Know-What, Mamilatipatipai is the world's most succinct word. It conveys the most meaning with the fewest number of letters. That's how important that knowing look is. Foralskit is Norwegian for the euphoria experienced as you begin to fall in love. And finally, the deepest version, yach berné, an Arabic word meaning you bury me. It's a moving and poignant declaration of hope that you'll die before your beloved, because of how unbearable it would be to live without them. I like this interpretation of the concept by the writer Martinique from the Education First Travel blog. We could get all dramatic with Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, or we could quote the great Winnie the Pooh, who basically explained the word this way If you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be 100 minus one day, so I never have to live without you. You want your kids to fall head over heels and to just plain fall a lot.